We were in chapter 3, verse 16, actually verses about 11 through 16 or 17. And the, uh, the challenge was to build carefully on a foundation. What was the foundation? Anybody remember? Foundation of the church, the foundation of truth. It was Jesus Christ. No other foundation, folks. Don't take man's philosophy. Don't take psychological principles. Don't take your best logic. Don't take anything that has to do with man and his wisdom. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. It had to do with the crucifixion work of Christ, with His authority that had been granted to Him by the Father. He said, all power, all authority has been given to Me. Now you go and teach. And that teaching is the building, that, or part of the building, that we're to be involved with. He talked a, bit, a little bit about a, a farmer who's out there planting seed and the seed grows and so on. And so there's benefit there. There's, there's fruit that's produced. Another illustration that he used of what we're involved in is this concept of, of building a building. And we are blessed to have a, uh, a good solid builder here. Jason Francis has a masonry company. He knows all about laying blocks. Jason, if you were going to lay block or lay brick, what would be the most important start for you? You want it level. A uh, good sand base would be excellent? Yeah. That would work? As far as around it? Or... Uh, that, that, that being the foundation? No. No, you don't like sand. No. What do you want? Concrete. Concrete. Solid. Something really solid. Okay, we have something really solid. It's Jesus. And anything else is going to fail. The wise man built his house on the rock, Jesus. The foolish man built his house on the man's philosophies, logic, whatever it would be. Don't get mixed up. No other foundation. It's Jesus. Okay, we've got that point established. Now, get busy and build. Some of you will be teachers. Some of you will be servants. Some of you will be leaders. Some of you will be uh, administrators. Whatever work you're doing in this building process has to be built on the foundation. Bigger, more important than that. We cannot use shoddy materials. And uh, I would suggest that those materials, let me get to my right page, would include, number one, the Word of God. I think it would also include the concept of exercising the spiritual gift that has been given. It would also be the responsibility of each builder to display the fruit of the Spirit. And in so doing, I think you're building with quality materials. Very, very important. Now, the question came up when we got to verse 16 when it said, be careful how you build. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And my challenge was, that this is a plural you. It's all of us. All of us together. That being the church. JP said, well, I've always heard that verse used, verses 16 and 17 used, as a Scripture teaching against suicide. 
and you don't destroy the temple of God. Well, I think there's a problem. In fact, as I've done that research, that would be a stretch. That would be a pop out of context. And so we probably shouldn't go there to teach against suicide. What is it teaching? Well, um, King James says, if any man defile the temple of God, him will God defile. The word is destroy, defile. Um, it means, um, means to cause to shrivel or to wither, to ruin. Usually having to do with moral influences, and that would be called depravity. So we've got to be careful here. As the body of Christ, is it possible for us to cause the temple to be destroyed, to be defiled, to, to wither? The temple, that church building, that not church, that church people who are the temple of God, is it possible that we can destroy that or defile that? Well, the answer is yes. Jude chapter 3, dear friend, I mean Jude verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Verse 12, he says, These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualms, shepherds who feed only themselves. Their clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. Very harsh condemnation. Second Peter. Peter gives the same kind of warning and same kind of challenge to those who would come in and tend to destroy, tend to undermine, tend to use less than quality materials in the building process. W. Harold Ware, in his uh, uh, commentary, says, this person destroys or tends to destroy. And he says, quote, God in His justice and holiness cannot allow part of His holy work to be damaged without bringing retribution. Interesting, isn't it? And so there's very strong warning as to how we build and what we can do, not to our individual person, not to our individual body. That's talked about in chapter 6. But to the body of Christ, we need to be very careful. Let me read John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think there's a pattern here. I think there's a, uh, an understanding that we can grasp about this concept. And that is that when we build, we have to be very careful that we use the quality material, the Word of God, that we are exercising those spiritual gifts. Is it possible? Is it possible if I don't use my spiritual gift that I would be part of defiling or damaging the temple? Let me throw that one out there. What do you think? What are you saying? Ethan, you're shaking your head? Yeah, I 
surfacing to damage the body, but it's sort of a passive uh, a passive action where you're you're not getting involved with doing what you're supposed to do. God's called us to use our gifts to build up the body, and therefore you are uh, you know in essence uh, helping you know continuing the damage in in, in destruction or defiling. Yeah, good. Yes, Aaron. I like that illustration. I think that would fit. I think that would fit very nicely. Did you all hear it? Maintaining your house. Okay. Window breaks. Better fix it. That kind of thing. Or the rain's going to come in and do further damage. All right. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll get there eventually. 2000. Anyway. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says that when one member suffers, what? We all suffer. If there's a lack of, of one part of the body, the whole body suffers. And so let's keep this... I think this is very practical. I don't think there's anybody here that we would call one of those wolves or, or people who's out to purposely defile and destroy the body of Christ. But let's be careful. Because our inactivity or our, our laziness or our refusal to obey God and do what He tells us to do to use our spiritual gifts for the edification of the body, for training others and so on. That may be included here. So, uh, you know, I'm stretching, but it's strong language. And JP, I really appreciate your challenge on that and hope that that's a little bit of what you were looking for as far as an answer. So maybe it's way more than you wanted. But anyway, um, verse 25 of Galatians 5, and I'm backing way up here. I like that phrase that's underlined. Keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't that good? Keep in step with the Spirit. And, and, and that's, that's a, an active responsibility of the child of God. Okay? Keep in step with the Spirit. Well, we talked about this. I'm going to quickly move through it. Who should I follow? Verse three, or chapter 3, verse 5 says, You follow the servant. They must be entirely dependent on God. Without God, the minister is nothing. Under God, the minister is part of a team. Fantastic. And so he says, build on that foundation. Use quality materials. Wise builders receive a reward. Foolish builders suffer loss. We are building His temple. So again, it's primarily the Word of God. But how I handle the Word of God and how I teach the Word of God is absolutely critical here. It's how I exercise those spiritual gifts. Every one of you have been given spiritual gifts. Are yours being used? If not, are you part of that defiling process? And are you in your display, in your, in your exercise of the Spirit, are you displaying that you are walking in step with the Spirit? In other words, is there fruit seen in your life? Jesus said, I, you know, if you're my disciple, you'll bear much fruit if you abide in me. And I expect to see that fruit, he says. Remember the fig tree? No fruit. What did he do? That was it. You're done, buddy. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff, okay? We're building his temple. How about those who are 
ministering, those who are actually involved in the work. And we have to be really careful here. Come on, babe. There we go. Understand that they are servants. And part of the problem was, remember back in chapter 1? Part of the problem was people were taking an individual and rallying around that person saying, oh, I'm going to follow pastor so-and-so. And so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says that. And Paul says, whoa, let's not elevate those men. That's not the point. That's not what we're supposed to do. There's a tendency. I, I have this tendency. I've been reading um, John Piper a lot lately. Anybody else been reading him? I know some of you students have been assigned to read him. But yeah, you know what? There's a tendency for me to say, well, Piper says... What, I should, what should I be saying? Jesus says, the Word of God says, and Piper helps us interpret it this way because that's the authority. Piper, great teacher, great author, but you know what? He's a servant just like you. And to elevate that person in our minds, in our attitudes, that creates problems. And pretty soon it's Piper that I follow instead of the Lord Jesus, instead of the Word of God. Let's be careful. He is used by God as part of a team, not a person to be elevated. And I'm reading, and I'm, I'm you know, now in chapter, I better tell you where I am. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 is kind of what we're roaring through right now. That person needs to be responsible to God. Use those quality materials. We'll be held accountable at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, So we make it our goal to please Him, Jesus, whether we are at home in the body or away, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What kind of things are we talking about there? Well, I think it's the Ephesians 10 passage. I think it's the James passage. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Good works is part of Christian living, and it's our job to do them. If I choose not to do them, the whole body suffers loss. We will suffer loss. Uh, we will be evaluated at the Bema, at the judgment seat, as one who was slacking. Um, Remember, this is no ordinary structure that we're building. So then, no more boasting about men. Verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And we'll quickly run through this list. We just put it up there. All things are yours. What's he getting at? I think it's this way. Uh, do not cut yourself off from the truth, no matter what the source. But then realize that you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. And I think he's moving us ahead to take a quick peek. Don't go there yet, but just take a quick peek at verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Um, he says, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Verse 7, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Look. 
Here's the source. Here's where our boasting should be. Not in those people who who are uh, teaching us, but rather the fact that God has prepared them and we should put the glory and credit to God. This is an important concept. Let me just, let me just uh, bounce this one off of you. Um, Theron, you, you've probably read a few books in your day, would you say? One or two. How many thousand, do you think? Has everything you've read been valuable in truth? Not even close. Some of it? Okay, okay. What did you do with the stuff that you read and you said, you know what, that doesn't match what I know of the Word of God? Isn't that cool? How many of you like watermelon? A couple of you? When you eat watermelon, you eat everything? What do you do? Right? You spit out the What? You eat everything, seeds and everything. Okay, we've got a problem here. Let's stop and pray for Aaron. All right. Don't eat everything. Don't buy it all. But get the value out of what you're reading. Now, here's a question. How am I going to know what I should spit out and what I should swallow? Question for everybody. Throw it out there. Yes? Ah, Beautiful it matches the Word of God. Now, what if I'm just a rookie and I don't really know everything about the Word of God? And I read some guy, woo, that's fabulous. And I, What's up, Jeff? What do I do? Um, well, you can... Wouldn't that be cool? Get some advice. You know what? If you have questions about a certain author, who in this room could you go to? Let me think. Who might know a few things about books in this room that's read a few million books and um, has some spiritual discernment? And who could I go to? Aaron's pointing at Pop. Theron. Theron, yeah. Gramps, Theron, good resources. You know who I go to? Well, I go to both of these guys, but you know who else I go to? John Rush. He's the librarian at Emmaus Bible College. That guy's phenomenal. Who should I read about? Discipline in the church. Who should I read about uh, uh, loving my neighbor? And, and he'll go, well, let's see. Well, there's Malu, and you can read. And, what's he got up there? You know, what do you got? I don't have room up there for all that junk. So I go to Rush. I say, what, what can I read? I go to Dr. Dave McLeod. Both of them are at Emmaus Bible College. They'd be good resources. Theron Young, fantastic resource. Go to him and say, is this guy pretty solid? Because I'm reading now. Is everybody going to be absolutely? Is, is anybody going to be absolutely solid about everything? No. Of course not. So I've got to be discerning. Aaron, you had a comment, question? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that And guess what? God has given us His Holy Spirit to teach us. John says to lead us into all truth. Jesus said it in the Gospel of John. To lead us into all truth. Every one of you who is a believer in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. You are equipped. 
Now, there's a couple, couple concepts here. And again, I was going to be done today, but there's no way. Uh, <laughs> another rabbit trail. If I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, if I'm quenching the Holy Spirit, both of those are commands. Don't grieve, don't quench, right? If I'm doing that, can I expect to read the Word of God and expect the Holy Spirit to just pour out truth to me? See, there's some things here that are kind of all tied together. And if my life has been one of, of uh, chaos and destruction, and I say, well, now I'm going to sit down and interpret Scripture, I, I could be in trouble. So there has to be a humility and an openness to allow God to really work in our lives, to have a heart that says, I want to obey. And when that heart is there, I'm convinced of this, that God, the Holy Spirit, will lead you into truth. That's a wonderful thing. But we've got great resources. Let's use them. Spit out the seeds. All right. I'm going to conclude things here in chapter 4. And Paul says, regard us as what? As servants. Now, they were stewards, and, and they weren't just the routine... Um, run-of-the-mill slave in the house. They were people that had proven that they were trustworthy. In fact, they had been entrusted with the secret things of God. Uh, He says of those that they are people who must be faithful. Faithful. Huge word. Huge concept as far as Christian living is concerned. People, God is speaking to my heart this morning and He's saying to your heart as well that you must be faithful. Quickly, give me some areas where the Christian person can't do it like the world does but must be faithful. Where? What? Faithful in evangelism. Thank you. I should have known you'd say that. Because you know what? I think you've honored God with that in your life. I think you've been faithful. Keep it up, brother. Where else do I need to be faithful? What? In prayer. Wow, that one stings. You know what? We set a goal, the leaders in this church set a goal that we would pray for every one of you guys at least once a week. Oof. I haven't been faithful. I failed you in that area. I got to get on the stick. That one, sorry. Thanks a lot, Naomi. Where else do I need to be faithful? Worth play. Wor- say it again. Good. Keep going. What? Oh, Heidi. Yes. Absolutely. Keep going. What? Oh, money. Ethan went and preached at us last week about money. He kept, huh? Faithful in our preaching, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're not done yet. In reading the Word. Reading and obeying. Can we say it that way? Yeah, because I spend a lot of time reading. Just... All right, reading, memorizing, and obeying the Word of God. Fantastic. 
Come on, wives. Loving our brothers. Okay. What? Our marriages. <laughs> oh, yeah, kissy, kissy. What does it mean? Commitment to each other. As long as you both will live. I will love you, honor you, cherish you. Remember those vows? Faithful. Lev, you're getting really carried away. You're, you're just being ridiculous in your pettiness. Isn't that correct? We can just, we can just dismiss all of this because it's just silliness. Nobody lives that way. Nobody wants me to live that way. Is that right? Wrong. I must be faithful. Who? Heavy-duty stuff. Another concept that's kind of important is the idea of prejudice. That is, don't be making solid judgments prematurely until you have all the information you need. In fact, this one says all the information God has. Let's be careful about this one. Even in evaluating one another's service, even in evaluating our own service, Let's be careful, okay? Paul says, you know what? I don't even bother to judge myself. I'm going to let Christ judge me. But I can tell what Christ's judgment will be, what Christ's evaluation will be, because He's spelled it out for me in the Word. I don't have to wait for the judgment seat of Christ to know what the evaluation is going to be. So, let's be careful about that. And then he gives us a little bit of insight, which is kind of neat and I, I've already addressed this, this is 6 and 7, he said, you know what? When I was talking about Paul and Cephas and Apollos, I used their names, I used our names instead of the names of the people right there in your church who are causing division, who are the people who are rallying, everybody's rallying around. It was kind of like an object lesson. And I did that so they would learn not to take pride in men. Let me say it again. Do not take pride in man, even in self or in someone else that we lift up. Why? <laughs> Verse 7. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Some of you this afternoon will... Uh, will watch the NFL. And I often watch with envy the NFL. Because I see guys doing things that I can only dream. In fact, that's what they are. They're dreams of mine, you know. To go up and pick a ball out of the air and make a one-hand catch and have three guys hit you and spin you upside down and you still come down in the end zone with that ball. I've lived that one. What's the difference between that guy and me? See how you open yourself up for abuse? Okay, okay. Huh? 
physically gifted. He's also physically fit. But he's gifted. He has muscle structure. He has bone structure. He has coordination that I just dream about. So he's obviously superior to me, right? Huh? He's different. He's different. And where did he get his ability? And this is the real problem for the NFL. Where did he get his ability? He got it from God. And if you've got a sharp mind, guess where you got it? You got it from God. So don't be an arrogant pup, okay? And if you've got a lot of money, where did you get it? And we can go on and on and on. It's all from God. Let's get that straight. Let's keep that tucked away in our brain. Because it's the, it's the boasting, it's the arrogance, it's the conceit that causes division in the body of Christ. And it is so pointless. It's just empty, people. Conceit. It's the root cause of conflict between any two parties. Let me start at the top. When Lucifer said, I'm going to have a little division with God, what was in his heart? Huh? Pride. Pride. I'm going to be like the Most High God. Pride. Conceit. What about Cain and Abel? What was in old Cain's heart? Caused by? Pride. What's wrong with my gift? What about Saul and David? Things were going good until the lady started singing. Remember that song? Saul, our big dude captain, has slain his thousands. And I can just see old Saul. <laughs> oh, they are so right. But then the next verse of the song says, David is 10,000. So what? Conflict out of pride. Can I have a testimonial or two from a husband-wife team? Huh? <laughs> Isn't that ugly when you boil it all down? Pride, conceit, so pointless. Parents and child. And it isn't just the children that are prideful sometimes. We parents can, can mess up in that way as well. When we talk about conceit, we're talking about an unrealistic view of ourselves. And what that does is to cause an attitude of superiority. I go to Emmaus Bible College. Huh? Well, you think that's good. 
I graduated from Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I went through this experience. I, I possess this much. Or I drive a... Or whatever it is. And it, it causes that attitude of superiority, that, that ser- attitude of superiority causes us to think that others owe me. Good grief, I've got my degree. Don't be challenging my thoughts. Ever seen that? Conceit. My dad's tougher than your dad. Incredible. And it's at the heart of conflict. I really think we need to plug this into our lives and to say, wow, I need some help. Well, what's the solution? We're going to end here. Verse 16. Someone read it for me. Chapter 4, verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. (laughs) JP! We were just talking about humility, bro. If you want to solve all your problems, JP says, just be like me. Is that what Paul is saying? Go to chapter... 11, verse 1. And there's a companion passage there. Chapter 11, verse 1. Got it, Aaron? Okay, let me read it first, then I'll get to you. Somebody got it? All right. There it is. It isn't following JP. If JP sets the example of Christ, man, tear after this guy. And he does. And I want you to follow him but talk to his wife in areas where you shouldn't follow him. Right? Because we all have warts. We all have flaws. Nobody in this building is perfect. But Paul says, look, the way I follow Christ is in, let me put it up there, in humility. The opposite of conceit, the opposite of arrogance. Humility. Do you think this is an important concept? Is this something God wants to... Knock into our heads. I believe with all my heart, people, that this is at the very heart of a church succeeding, of a church growing and becoming Christ-like. And that is that your leaders have humility. That every person uses their spiritual gift with humility. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a choice that we make. James says it so clearly. God is opposed to the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. So what do you do? You humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He can exalt you in due time. That's our job. Do we want a church that's fragmented, heading in ten different directions? Or do we want to have a place where we can come where there's a one mind and a one spirit and, and 
get the fruit and get the benefit and the joy that comes from that kind of a united um, body of believers? Don't even need to ask that question. How's it going to happen? Well, as long as I allow any kind of arrogance or conceit in my life, it's going to be a hindrance to the oneness that Jesus really wants. And when I choose humility, it's the start, I believe, of God beginning to really work, whether it be in your, in your own personal life, in your family, in your marriage, whether it be in the workplace, any of those places where you were supposed to be faithful, I really believe that God honors this display of humility and will bless us and cause us to grow. Let's pray. Father, uh, we need You. This is impossible stuff.